Good morning. Uh, my name is Joelle Hurst, and I'm a member here at MPC. Uh, a, scripture, a scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Jesus calls Levi. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, good morning again, and welcome to McLean Presbyterian. My name is James. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's great to have you with us here in our sanctuary, down in our fellowship hall, even worshiping with us online. It's great to have this chance to, to be together, to refocus our hearts upon those things that matter most and enjoy the love of God and its implications for our lives. This morning, we do begin a, a new series, a new series called Hungry for more. What's this series about? Well, let's do a little series introduction, then pray and dive into the sermon. Um, yesterday, we held a memorial service here, here in the sanctuary, a memorial service for, for Peggy Hardman, the wife of our longtime associate pastor, Pastor Butch Hardman. And it was a, a beautiful time to remember all that the Lord had done through Peggy's life and what a blessing she was to myself and so, so many of us. And it made me wonder, it made me wonder, um, when, when my own memorial service arrives, uh, how, how am I going to summarize that life? What, what would the one sentence summary of your life be? Uh, here's some famous ones. Uh, Julius Caesar, Veni Vidi Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered. My favorite, Robert Frost, listen to this. It's so typical that Robert Frost would summarize his life in this way. He said, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. Isn't that great? Or Summer Grimes, uh, not quite what I was planning. <laughs> what about you? When the death do lies cold on your brow, what do you want the summary to be? How would you summarize your own life? See, here's the problem. I think for most of us, I think most of us would actually be quite disappointed if the summary ends up being about the things we functionally spend most of our time on now. Most of us would be quite disappointed if the summary ends up being about any of the things that we functionally spend our time on now. So, your epitaph, she made partner. Great. Right. Um, he got everything on his to-do list done. <laughs> Their kids got good grades. Marvelous, right? She kept her figure. He lived a comfortable life. Her Instagram game was on point. Now listen, none of these things are bad, okay? Most of them are good. But aren't you hungry for a little more? Don't you want a little more? Don't you want the summary to be better than any of those things? Or if we're honest with ourselves, any of the things that we functionally spend so much of our time thinking about. Now, I've got to tell you, um, 
the Lord has been really pressing this in on me personally in a way that's been more, um, more painful than compelling. <laughs> Here's how it's gone. Um, if, you, if you're new to our church, you should know. If you're not new to our church, you already know that part of my mental health makeup is to struggle sometimes with anxiety and with depression. And I don't want to downplay that struggle. Like, if you have that struggle, like, that struggle is real. You, you know, like, every day of my life, I have certain habits, certain routines, certain disciplines that I walk in and follow through on in order to be healthy in my mind and my body and my soul. Like, this is a struggle that, that impacts kind of every day of, of my life. And if you have struggles, your, your struggles are real too. Okay? We don't want to downplay any, any of our struggles. If it's struggles with your mental health, whether it's struggles in your relationships, whether it's struggles in your workplace, wherever it is, your, your, struggles, your struggles are real. But here's the dangerous thing. I don't want to fall into a life that's defined by the struggle. How's this for a summary? See, see, see if I make it to the end and the summary goes, he wasn't anxious. <laughs> what a terrible summary, Right? What a miserable waste of a life <laughs> to get to the end and be defined by the absence of a problem. Come on. I, like, I want more than that. <laughs> and I think I've been created for more than that. And you want more than that. And you've also been created for more than that. And in a sense, that's why we're doing this series. This summer, we're going to learn what we should really be hungry for, and how those hungers are satisfied in Christ. We're going to learn together what we should really be hungry for and how those uh, hungers are satisfied in Christ. We're going to do this by looking at the meals Jesus has with people throughout the Gospel of Luke. Each week, we'll look at a different mealtime. We'll learn what it is we should be really hungry for and how Jesus satisfies those hungers. We're going to follow along with the, the book Rob mentioned, uh, Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. I encourage you to get that, uh, read that along with us this summer. And together, we're going to see um, the gospel doesn't just solve problems. The gospel fulfills cravings. There's a big difference between those things. And I hope by the end of the series, that sentence will mean more to us than it does right now. The gospel doesn't just solve your problems. The gospel fulfills your cravings. That's what this series is about. Let's bow our heads uh, before we look at this section of God's word. Father, um, you have created us and now you have recreated us. Your word says, your, your son said to live an abundant life. And Father, we're not fooled by that. We're, we're not fooled by the world's definition of that abundant life. We know, Lord, it doesn't mean health and wealth and power and beauty because it means things that are so much better than any of that. Uh, it means a life of meaning and joy and purpose through highs and lows, joys and sorrows, even in the midst of struggles and suffering. Lord, teach us how to order our affections. Show us what we should be really hungry for and then help us to celebrate as those hungers are fulfilled in Christ. Would we each come to understand in our own lives and in a personal way what it means that the gospel doesn't just solve problems but fulfills our cravings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, how would, you, um, how would you summarize Christ's life? If you're going to summarize your own life, that's tricky. What about, what about Christ? How would you complete the sentence, the Son of Man came to do what? 
The Son of Man came to die on a cross, perhaps. The Son of Man came to forgive our sins. The Son of Man came to establish the kingdom. Lots of ways that we might finish that sentence. Well, you know, Jesus himself finishes that sentence three times for us in the Gospels. He gives us three one-sentence summaries of his life. Here's the first one. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That is a strong summary. Jesus came with all might, with all power from the glory of heaven itself. Not that he might come down and lord it over everyone, but that he might come down and serve them. What kind of God is this? That he might come and use his power for the welfare of his, his people to, to serve them. And not just serve them, but to give his own life. To give his own life as a, as a ransom. As he, as he dies upon the cross, as his blood is shed, he buys his people back from their slavery to sin. And we are redeemed. Strong summary. Second summary. For the Son of Man came, Jesus said, to seek and to save what was lost. To seek and to save what is lost. And what another great summary of your life. This is almost the illustration of the one that came before. Yes, I came to give my life as a ransom. What does that mean? I mean, you, my people, have got lost. You are the sheep that have, that have wandered off. You are, you are all the one. And I'm coming after you all. I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to find you out. And I'm going to carry you home. <laughs> I am going to draw you back into relationship with me. Yes, we see another strong summary of Jesus' life. Here's, here's the third way that Jesus gives us a summary. So one, not to be served, but to give his life. Two, to seek and to save what was lost. Three, uh, Luke 7, verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. We think, what? Like that, that doesn't sound as strong as the first two, you know? Like, what gospel rant are you meant to launch into after saying that one? You know, does, does it not seem strange that Jesus would summarize his life in that way that he has come eating and drinking? Now, on one level, of course, we understand, right? Um, food matters, drink matters, meals matter. This is obviously true on a physical level. Uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but he won't live very long without bread, right? Uh, we also know, though, that this sense of meals mattering is, is important on, on a deeper level. Uh, Carolyn Steele wrote, few acts are more expressive of companionship than the shared meal. So just think with me for a second. We tripped down memory lane. Of all the tables you've sat at in your life, what was the table like in the home in which you grew up? What was, what was the table like when, you know, where did you eat when you were a, a teen? What about at college? What about throughout, throughout your life? Where are the tables that you, have, that you have, have sat the most? Tables where you've shared stories, where you've uh, told news, where you've been encouraged, where you were no doubt teased by siblings, where you laughed together and, and cried together. Tables where values were formed and big decisions were made and, and life has flowed. Uh, we understand that that that's had a powerful, that mealtime has had a powerful impact on us. Now, sadly, we also know that Americans, we eat together less than we used to. A um, couple of stats that I'm sure have something to do with that. You know, first of all, um, a quarter of Americans eat fast food every day. Right? So that's just not conducive to family meal. But here's, here's a shocking stat. You ready for this? Um, the average American eats one out of every five meals in their car. One out of every five meals in their car. Um, we have the drive-through. 
drive throughs are trained to give you everything that you need to be able to eat right then. My daughter who works at Chick-fil-A informed me of this, right? Um, you get the napkins, you get the fork, you get the spoon, you get the sauces, you get everything you need so that you don't pick up and dig at home, you pick up and chow down, right? And apparently, we as a people now eat one out of every five meals uh, in our cars. Now, physical impact of this is troubling. You know, children that don't eat dinner with their parents at least tw- uh, twice a week are, for example, 40% more likely to be overweight. On the more positive side, children that do eat uh, dinner with their parents five times or more a week show significantly less uh, use of alcohol, significantly less drug use, show even higher grades in school. We understand, in a sense, that mealtimes are powerful. We understand that food matters, that drink matters, that meals matter. But I still think it's strange that Jesus would summarize his life like that. Okay, I get it. Kind of important. But compared to seeking and saving the lost... (laughs) Compared to going after the one, the Son of Man came eating and and drinking. Why was eating and drinking so important to Jesus? Why were meals so important to Jesus? Two reasons that will hopefully set up the rest of our series. First reason from our text, meals were so important to Jesus because, point one, meals show us what Christ has done for us. Point one, meals show us what Christ has done for us. They were so important to him because they are a symbol, a sign, if you like, of what he has done for us. Let's look at the text. Verse 29, we pick up with Levi, who we now know as Matthew. This is a man who would go on to write the gospel of Matthew. He meets Jesus, and the first thing he does is throw a party. Look at this, isn't it great? Not just any party, look at the text. A great feast of a party. So this is a no expense spared, cancel all other plans kind of throwdown. And Jesus is there and he's no doubt having a blast. And Jesus isn't the only one that's there. Look at, look at what the text says. It says, a large company has also gathered. Large company is, is literally a great crowd. Okay? The place is packed. This party is happening because people are drawn to Jesus. And everyone's having a great time except who? everyone except the Pharisees. Look at it there. Uh, The religious people, shocker, the religious people don't know how to have fun. Verse 30, they moan to the disciples. How can you guys associate with this crowd? How can you hang out with people like this, with tax collectors, with with sinners? Why do you eat and drink with such lowlifes? Now understand, their problem is not the party. The problem is the guest list. They don't mind a party. Their problem is, is the guest list. First of all, there are tax collectors there. Now, fair enough. Who likes a tax collector, right? If you work for the IRS, I'm sorry, it's true, okay? <laughs> um, you know, just have a moment of self-awareness here, okay? Um, you know, on a superficial level, nobody's like, yay, tax collectors, right? But obviously, though, in Jesus' day, this situation was more pronounced. Why? Because the tax collectors were known for being underhanded. They were known for collecting more than they should. They were known for cheating people out of money. But worse than that, they weren't just seen as um, sort of, uh, you know, underhand. They were also seen as traitors. Why? Because these were Jews, these were Israelites who were collecting taxes on behalf of whom? Not on behalf of Israel, but on behalf of the Romans. So they were seen to be in cahoots with this oppressive power. They were seen to be um, traitors, not just to their nation, but also to their God. Right? 
So tax collectors, they're about as low as they come. But not only are there tax collectors, they are, look, tax collectors and sinners. Now, here, I love this biblical point. I had never realized that Luke doesn't call them sinners. Look at verse 29. What does Luke say? Luke says, tax collectors and others. Very neutral, value-free, judgment-free term. There's tax collectors there, and there's a bunch of other people there, right? But that's not how Pharisees work. Tax collectors, Pharisees don't just, don't just look out with a kind of neutral or judgment-free zone. They, they look out, to, and, and, and they don't just see another, they see a sinner. Someone who is other to them, someone who is unlike them, is, is immediately seen as, as a sinner, as low, as unworthy, as dirty, as someone with whom you shouldn't even share a meal. But look at verse 31. I love it. Jesus, he just isn't having any of it. He says, hey, it's, it's not healthy people who need a doctor. It's sick people. You want me to behave like a doctor who never sees a patient. How is a good doctor ever going to do their work if they never spend time with patients? And likewise, yeah, these tax collectors, these others, uh, I'm going to spend time with them because I'm the great physician that meets people in their sickness and in their disease. I haven't come to call the righteous. I haven't come to call the people who think they've got it all together. I've come to call sinners, people who know that they are broken, people that you look down on. I've come to call those very people to myself. I am handing out invitations to God's party. And guess what? Everyone's invited. Everyone is invited. Anyone who wants in is in. It doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you've done. You can be a tax collector, a sinner, a loser, part of the marginalized, broken, uh, or even ordinary parts of society, but everyone is welcome at my table. Um, You ever seen the movie Little Miss Sunshine? Um, It follows a wee girl called Olive, and Olive is um, an awkward little girl with big glasses who decides to enter a beauty contest. And it follows not just her, but also her incredibly dysfunctional family. Her father is this failed motivational speaker. And at one point in the movie, you hear him say, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are winners and there are losers. And as he says the word losers, the camera pans around his family. (laughs) (laughs) And you see his foul-mouthed dad. And you see his suicidal brother-in-law. And you see his teen who has taken a vow of silence, refusing to speak. And you see his poor downtrodden wife who's struggling just to hold everything together. Well, this clan of, of losers, this family that is the embodiment of everything the father hates, <laughs> um, all pile into VW van in order to go to this beauty contest. And even the van is symbolic of the family. <laughs> um, the door falls off, okay? The horn is always on, right? Um, they, they have to push start it whenever they want to start it, so they do all that they can to never, never stop. It's just an absolute disaster of a clan. Well, at one moment after stopping for gas, there's a moment in the movie where they are, you know, they got in this big argument, got in this big fight, they stopped for gas, they're back on the road, and then they suddenly realize they don't have the wee girl with them. They've left her back at the gas station. 
So they pull a dramatic U-turn, and they go storming back to the gas station. And they see her there, and then, without stopping the van, because they can't restart it, they have her run alongside it, and she's, no one... And in the trailer to the movie, it's great because the suicidal brother-in-law yells, no one gets left behind. No one gets left behind. A van full of dysfunctional misfit losers, but no one's being left behind. And we say, welcome to the church. Welcome to the church. (laughs) Um, Ooh, bad news for you. You know Jesus didn't come to call the righteous? (laughs) Like, If you're a Christian, it's because you're not awesome. (laughs) That wasn't in my notes, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, The point is we're broken. That's the point. The point is we're so broken that Jesus had to come to earth and live the life we couldn't and die on the cross to pay for our sins, that we might be reconciled to God. Jesus takes a bunch of misfits and he doesn't put us in a van, but he does seat us at his table. This is why meals are so important to him. That's how Jesus treats his enemies. That's how Jesus treats people who have, who have betrayed, who, who, are, who are traitors against God. Jesus eats and drinks with everyone to show us what he's done, that he offers forgiveness and new life to anyone who'll come, and everyone's invited. The only question is, have have you RSVP'd? Have you RSVP'd? The only people who are left out are those who don't want to come. And if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, oh, you need to. (laughs) You need to. You, you don't want to be like the Pharisees. You don't want to be like one of those people who thinks they're too good for the party of God. You want to see that Jesus has come for, for broken misfits, that you're in a room full of them, that you are one of them, but that you too are invited so that right now you can RSVP, receive Jesus as your savior, be forgiven full and free, be part of the party of God. Why are meals so important to Jesus? First of all, he came eating and drinking to show us what he has done, that through faith in Christ, we have a seat at the table of the king. Point one. Point two, uh, why, are me- why are meals so important to Jesus? Um, they're so important not just because they show us what Christ has done for us. Point two, they're also so important because they show us what we are to do for others. Meals are so important to Jesus because... Yeah, they show us what he did for us, but also because they show us what we are to do for others. It's fascinating to me that meals don't just represent the meaning of Christ's mission. So you understand what I mean by that? They're they're symbolic of what he did. He came to welcome us to his table. He is the bread of life that that we hungry people can can feed on. It's It's a symbol. It's a picture. It's an illustration of the story of the gospel. The, the, the meals don't just do that. They don't just symbolize the, the meaning. They also embody the method of his mission. What do I mean by that? I mean, the way Jesus did ministry was to go and eat and drink with people. So not in a symbolic way, in, in a literal way. How, how did Jesus go about spreading the gospel? Number of ways, of course, but primary amongst them was he sat down and shared a meal with people. Tim Chester writes, his mission strategy was a long meal, stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship around a table with some grilled fish 
a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. One New Testament scholar, Robert Karras, comments, it's for this reason that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Rob Yancey said that's the summary he wants of his life. <laughs> but it's true. Look, uh, Luke 5, Luke 7, Luke 9, Luke 10, Luke 11, Luke 14, Luke 19, Luke 22, Luke 24. Jesus is doing one of those things. And that, before we've even got to how Jesus will use eating and drinking in his parables, right, in his teaching, wherever we meet Jesus, we find him eating and drinking. Why? Because it's, it's, how, it's how he did ministry. He shared food in order to share a greater love. There's a a food writer called Nigel Slater, and he wrote an autobiography called Toast, the story of a young man's hunger. And in this autobiography, he describes how um, once as a wee boy, he described his mother's kisses as being like marshmallows. Well, when he was just nine years old, his mother tragically passed away. And from that day on, every night beside his bed, his father placed a marshmallow. <laughs> What's his father doing? He's sharing food in order to share a greater love. And that's what Jesus does. That's, that's the method of his ministry. It's how he goes about his ministry. He shares food in order to share a greater love. And so surely this is the model for us, not just teaching us about what he has done for us, but also about what we are to do for others. As people who've been given a seat at the table of the king, we're to be a people who bring others into the party. And so this should be really good news. Like, What do you think of typically when you think of evangelism? Right? Do you think of like ugh, awkward conversations? Forced questions, random interruption, inter, in, you know, interactions with someone you met at Starbucks or someone whose door you just knocked on, right? Jesus would rather you throw a party. I, I think that is a really legitimate application of this text. Levi comes to Christ, throws a party. You know Christ, throw a party. Throw a party and then invite your friends. Um, remember, now we're not. We're not talking symbol anymore. We're not talking, you know, symbolically. We're talking literally. Like, who, who are the people in your life that you could have over for dinner this summer? Wouldn't that be a good thing if everyone in the church said, right, this summer, we're all going to throw one party. <laughs> we're all going to have friends over who don't, who don't know the Lord. We're going to have them over for a meal. We're going to share our lives with them. We're going to share our stories with them. And as we have, have opportunity, we're going to share the love of Christ with them couldn't be more practical. If this intimidates you, team up. Team up. Do it as a community group. Uh, Host a cookout. Invite the neighbors. Do it with another friend in the church. Invite friends, neighbors, colleagues over to dinner. Uh, Cook out. Have their kids. Enjoy each other. Pray before you eat and look for opportunities to share the love of Jesus. Do you know what? You just might find out you, you, you end up giving them more than dinner. You might give them a marshmallow. You might give them love. And just, so just pause with me for a second. Does the Spirit put anyone on your heart? Who, who's in your life that you could do this with? 
comes to mind. Reach out. Invite him over for dinner. Why were meals so important to Jesus? Because meals show us what Christ has done and meals show us what we are to do for others. Yesterday, as I said, we held the memorial service for Peggy Hartman. Um, And her sister, her sister wrote the bio that we put on the back of the worship guide. And so she had to wrestle with this question, how am I going to summarize her life? Well, her sister said a few things. She gave some details where Peggy was born, where she grew up, and the like. She told us of her interests. Uh, Here's a quote. Peggy was an avid gardener, surrounding her home with beautiful flowers in an immaculate lawn. But then she wrote these words. Ready? Peggy will be remembered as someone who loved our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with all her heart. See, Peggy's garden was great, and it would be a terrible life summary. She had a beautiful garden. Peggy's garden was good, but her heart was better. Her heart was better. Why? Because she had a seat at Christ's table. And if you knew her, you know she invited other people to join her. She invited other people to join her. She lived a life that mattered because she was loved by Christ and then followed the example of her Savior. I'd take that life summary. Um, I think you would too. Enjoy the seat you've been given at the table, but invite others to join you as well. In the next few weeks, we're going to dig into this theme more. Looking forward to this summer month together. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, as you've given us a worshiping community that we might remind each other of those things that matter most that we might lift up our heads from the busyness of the day and the length of the to-do list and focus our attention and our affections on an eternal horizon that is coming and will be here soon. Um, And Lord, we want to have a summary then that that, um, has value and worth and substance. Lord, we know if we, if, we want, if we want that then, we've got to start living that way now. So would you um, renew us in your grace? Um, would you double our joy, the joy we have in being welcomed to the table? Misfit, ragtag group of Christians welcomed by the king. And would you help us, Lord, to take this super practical step and just to reach out and have, have folks join us for dinner this summer? Uh, Would you do that and give us um, the words and the life and the energy to to share the love of Christ as we have opportunity? That we might find, Lord, we're able to look back and say that not only do we have a seat at the table, but that you used us to bring others in as well. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.